In today's episode, I want you to get to know me better so you can understand why this podcast is here. And you'll get, at the end, a silent minute of breathing and an idea of how to play with your kids. So when you go to bed tonight, you can feel good about how you connected with your children during the day. You'll hit the pillow knowing that you took the time to laugh, to smile, and to enjoy your kids, right? In today's podcast, we're going to talk about the different patterns of play published by the National Institute of Play in Dr. Stuart Brown. When you think about play, do you automatically think about a young child with action figures or a doll um, making pretend noises? Maybe if they're a young boy making a scene of war or a young girl playing with a dollhouse. I know it's very stereotypical here. But those examples of play are usually what most people think of. The toddler handing you the toy telephone and expecting you to talk to. But there are actually many, many different patterns of play that science has discovered, not just for humans, but for other animals too. We're going to talk about all of them today. There are seven specific patterns of play And the very first pattern of play actually happens pretty soon after birth. It's called attunement play. Attunement play is the type of play that a newborn child does when they do their first social smile. So that first smile where you smile at your baby and they smile back at you, that moment is actually the first act of play between parent and child. Attunement play is really important because it connects our emotions together. It's a mirroring play. Um, Babies also do this with vocalizations. I don't know about you, but all three of my kids have gone through this pterodactyl phase where you could tell that they were trying to mimic the sentence patterns of the grown-up language around them, but they weren't saying anything that made sense. And that is part of attunement play. The second type of play is called body play and movement play. And the best example of this is professional sports players, right? That they love to play their sport because they love how their sport feels in their body. Dancing, football, um, the rhythm of a golf swing. It's also why raking piles of leaves in the fall and jumping into them is irresistible. We can't help but move our bodies. 
You see this in young infants too, where they're flailing their arms. We put them on the floor to practice their tummy time and they're trying to reach and they're trying to grab their toes and they want to hold your finger. It helps integrate their systems. It's body play and movement play. It's just thinking in motion. It's amazing. The third type of play is object play. Object play is when actual objects come into play. Now, the best example I have of this for you is actually when you visit the zoo. You've all seen at the zoo that different types of animals will have different enrichment toys put in there. Sometimes it's a block of ice for the pandas with frozen apples in it or um, something for a chimpanzee to try to rip apart, you know. There are lots of different ways to do this. Object play is when you just manipulate the object, skipping rocks, banging on pans, according to the National Institute of Play. When you're playing with Lego bricks or playing with a doll as a child, okay, all object play. You're taking this plain object and turning it into a bigger experience. Okay, the fourth type of play is social play. We also see this in animals. And it's a really key part of playing as a child. It's when you interact with other people. Now, social play doesn't go away when we get bigger. It just changes. When you banter over Instagram, that's social play. When you're driving down the car, down the street, and chatting with your tween about music and uh, making parodies and puns together. Maybe you're talking about the Roblox oof sound. That's social play. The key part of social play is that you're working on reading the other person, figuring out social skills, and it's a constant bid for attention. Back and forth, back and forth. They're working on building increased social play in senior citizen housing areas by inviting preschoolers in to play with them. Have you heard of that project? Social play is a lifelong need. The fifth type of play is imaginative and pretend play. Now, I'm sure automatically you're thinking of preschoolers playing pretend, playing outside in the woods, coming up with these luscious and rich storytelling environments. And that's absolutely true. If you don't have this type of play as a child, then studies have shown that you'll have a harder time trusting people. Our coping skills 
as humans come from this imaginative pretend play. This is where our brain can feel safe to run through all the scenarios and test them out. It's how we feel safe. The sixth type of play is called storytelling and narrative play. And this is like the pinnacle of human play. This is where TV comes from. This podcast is storytelling and narrative play. When you just want to share with your words about an experience and you retell it. When your child comes up to you, running up to you about beating a level in a game or about some exciting thing that happened at school, that's exactly what they're doing. They're storytelling and narrative play. It doesn't mean that it has to be pretend. All books, all written word falls into this type of play. It is, it creates a timeless feeling, right? You can think in your head about people of your sitting around campfires, listening to each other, sharing the news of the day, singing songs. It's just so nice to know that this has been going on for such a long time. The seventh pattern of play from the National Institute of Play, Dr. Stuart Brown, is creative play. And this is when you are obsessed with an idea. Let's call this the Einstein version of play. When you are insatiably curious about a big idea and you don't want to stop thinking about it. When you have big questions and do experiments and keep poking at it, that's all play. Creative play is where play and science meet together to make the biggest changes in history. Creative play has changed our world. So I hope now that you have heard the seven different patterns of play that maybe you can pause and write down the things that you did with your kids today. Did you listen to bantering of ideas? Did you talk wordplay and puns and share movie quotes back and forth? Did you help your child follow a rabbit trail of ideas in Google and YouTube and get excited together about those ideas? Did you just laugh and be silly and tell corny jokes? Did you race bicycles around the block? The goal of the Everyday Motherhood podcast is to help you Pause and connect and play more. But the easiest way to play more is to notice the ways that you aren't giving yourself credit first. You're alive. You're a human. You, by the nature of your brain, are already playing. You by the nature of your brain, are already playing 
every single day. You can't help it. You might just notice it now. Each episode, I'm going to end by giving you a very simple, what I call, 60-second self-care idea and a play activity. For today's 60-second self-care, I want you to think of the feeling that you want to feel when you go to bed at night. Is it hopeful, peaceful, calm, vibrant, sexy? Whatever it is, stop and use that word as an alarm on your phone at 8.15 a.m., 1.15 p.m., and 7.45 p.m. Try it. See if it makes a difference. To just be reminded about how you want to feel. Today's play activity is to play Mirror Mirror. And one person gets to be the leader. And what you do is you have your child lead a game where one person needs to be copied and the other person mimics. Make sure every single family member who wants to play gets a turn. Keep it light, laugh often. Keep it light, laugh often. Have fun, pause, connect, and play more. We'll see you next time on Everyday Motherhood.